JB Knowledge Podcast Network. On episode 62 of the InsureTech Geek Podcast, talking about the future of flood insurance with Jim Albert from Neptune Flood. The InsureTech Geek Podcast, powered by JB Knowledge, is all about technology that's transforming and disrupting the insurance world. We'll be interviewing guests and doing deep dives into specific tech we see changing the industry. We're taking you on a journey through insurance tech, so enjoy the ride and geek out. My goodness. As we record this, it's Friday, July 16th, 2021. We are halfway through 21. It still feels like it's the beginning of 20 because I feel like we have like, got this big reset after, uh, you know, the worst of COVID. And of course, things have reopened pretty much everywhere here in the United States. Uh, a lot of other countries are not in the same boat because they've been very slow to get in, uh, need, get uh, vaccines and arms, even Surprisingly, Canada and Australia uh, having surprisingly low rates of vaccination. Uh, so they're enduring some more lockdowns. But here in the United States, everything's about blown wide open. And uh, up here in, on the shores of Lake Michigan right now, I tell you what, it is uh, it is back to a full sense of normalcy <laughs> with everybody from Detroit and Chicago piling in here to the lakefront for the uh, and from South Florida, by the way, of course, escaping the heat and coming up here to the shores of Michigan uh, <laughs> For the uh, for a cool summer, and it has been uh, has been that for sure. With on on the show today, I've got uh, my fellow Texagander, that's a Texas Michigan lover there, Rob Galbraith, uh, the most interesting man in insurance. Rob, how are you doing, bud? I'm doing good. We uh, are having a mild summer so far in Texas. I can't remember the last time I could say that. It's uh, been struggling to make 80, a lot of rain down here. So it's been a little bit unusual, but not complaining. Nice. Nice. Glad to hear that. And with us from one of my favorite places in America, beautiful St. Petersburg, Florida. He is the chairman and co-founder over at Neptune Flood, a, a fellow James, uh, but he goes by Jim. Jim Albert. Jim, how you doing? Great, great, James. Really, really glad to be here and actually would really enjoy being up in Michigan with you because it'd be a lot cooler <laughs> than here in St. Pete. Yeah, as a, I'm, I'm a regular in St. Pete. Uh, got a big customer over there that I go visit all the time and got some prospects I visit on a regular basis. And uh, I was actually just speaking at a conference down there in the beginning of June and it was hot and humid, uh, which is what happens in South Florida. Yeah. Uh, of course, hurricane season, you guys, uh, I feel like you got a pass on that hurricane. Like it, it, it could have been really bad and it wasn't nearly as bad as it, as it could have been. We, we got an absolute pass. That was, that was about the worst path that could occur for us. A storm just offshore that pushes everything up the bay, but it, but it moved enough that it actually pulled water out of the bay than rather than push it up. So the, the storm surge was minimal at best. The storm in November of, of uh, Tropical Storm Ada was actually much worse than this this hurricane that came through a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, so uh, congratulations as a flood insurance company. Congratulations on that. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that's an important miss, I think. Uh, I, you know, yeah. I work in two industries at JB Knowledge. We we have 250 people here, and we uh, obsess with insurance and uh, risk management. But we also do a lot of work over on the risk side of construction, and the the irony to our world is when there's a big flooding event, you know, the insurers, and I saw a meme on this the other day, of course, there's a meme for everything, but the the insurers have their heads in their hands and the contractors have a big smile on their face because they're excited to get out and rebuild. And so it's like a, it's like a two edged sword, you know, uh, it's, uh, but 
in this case, you you uh, you, you dodged a bullet there, and we're, we're excited for you. Um, we're going to talk with you in just a second. Before we get started, don't forget you can subscribe to the InsureTech Geek podcast if you're watching this on video. Of course, we, we stream this on uh, Facebook and Twitter and put it on Vimeo and LinkedIn. Um, you can text Geek Out, G E E K O U T, Geek Out to 66866. Make sure you never miss an episode. We send you the links to the, show, to the news articles and the show notes and the interview. Uh, so you can never miss it there. Now, back to our special guest, Jim Albert from Neptune Flood. Jim, uh, you are chairman and co-founder there. You got a bachelor's in uh, electrical engineering and math over at uh, a fellow SEC school. I'm a Texas Aggie, um, and you are a Vandy grad, so Vanderbilt University, one of my favorite places. I love Nashville. You have a beautiful campus over there. Let's just talk about you for a minute. Uh, where 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 were you born and raised, and what led you to be an engineering major at Vandy? Yeah, I, I grew up in New Jersey and uh, had this misguided concept that if I went to school in the Northeast, then I would live the rest of my life in the Northeast. And of course, nothing like that ever happened. <laughs> I've lived everywhere. But I, yeah, I went south to Vanderbilt. Once I, and once I, once I realized that I wasn't going to play center field for the New York Yankees, I, I decided to apply my other interests, which is physics and math and technology into the engineering world. So yeah, got a double E degree at Vanderbilt and then promptly went back to the Northeast and spent most of my career there. <laughs> Ironically. <laughs> I mean, yeah. uh, now B- Vandy has a, now I am a rabid college baseball fan. I mean, I, I grew up in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, about a mile from Alex Box stadium, uh, grew up there when skip, uh, Bertman was winning five national titles in 10 years. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, I, I watched just some of the best college baseball ever recorded in college baseball history. And then I went to Texas A&M, got to watch a lot of college baseball there. Did you play for Vandy? No, I tried to walk on, but they, they, uh, they had four positions and I was one of 82 going for those four positions. Yeah, so it's tough. Wasn't going to happen <laughs> in the, in the sec. It is just tough. My business partner yeah. played baseball for the Argentine national baseball team. And then he came up here and he tried to, he tried to walk on at LSU in 96. And you can imagine that. Was in oh, the, wow. I mean, it's in the middle of their championship run. Right. And he just couldn't squeeze in, even though he's really good, uh, plays world cup baseball. And then, he ended up going to Nickel State and doing some playing there down in South Louisiana. But uh, I love baseball as well. I realized very early on I was no Oral Hershiser, who was my hero, and uh, <laughs> it wasn't going to happen. So I tried to make my career in engineering as well. So once you got an engineering degree, you went up to the Northeast. Uh, what what you looks like you you worked for AT and T for quite a long time, and then uh, had had a few different uh, uh, businesses and jobs after that. Uh, what what'd you do for, it looks almost 20 years, 18 years over at AT&T. 18 years at AT&T. And, and actually, when I joined AT&T, it was, it had 1 million employees and, and it was the Bell system. It was yeah. the last year of the Bell system. They just, Before they got broken up. They, they just yeah. announced the breakup. And there's some parallels that maybe we'll talk about later on on what's going on in flood insurance. But I went in as a, as a technology guy and, and stayed on the tech side for seven or eight years, worked in Bell Labs a little bit. Then as AT&T does, moved into sales, moved into operations, moved into different roles, ultimately left in 2000 and joined an IT consulting firm pretty much right at the end of the dot-com bubble. <laughs> Maybe not the best time to join a consulting firm, but but this is one that that survived and ultimately ran the company and then ran their international division over in the UK for a few years as well. It, it was a long, slow, torturous path to get to the insurance industry. I never imagined I'd go into insurance. But in 2012, I moved back to the States and joined an insurance company here in St. Petersburg as their chief information officer. 
Awesome. And what did you learn? What was the path into <laughs> founding a flood insurance company? I mean, what made you want to go into insurance and what really drove you into a tech-enabled insurance company? Yeah, it's, it's always the people, right? You, you follow people here and there. And, uh, and I, I joined the insurance company because of a, a person that I admired and respected that, that uh, asked me to be the CIO. But what I found, and this is not going to be any revelation to either of you, but what I found was that the industry was handcuffed by legacy systems and significantly heavily regulated. And, and there was a lot, of, a lot of the cultural, this is the way it's, it's always been done. And having not been in the industry, but having been heavily involved in e-commerce and software development, and data analytics for the 15 years before that, I thought, you know, why can't we just try this out in the insurance industry and see if some of those Amazon-like buying experiences could be applied to a line of insurance? So in 2015, I left and in, in later on that year formed what became Neptune with um, a brilliant guy named Bill Martin that I think both of you probably know. He's the uh, now the uh, CEO of Plymouth Rock Home Assurance, but he and I founded Neptune together and, and it was based all based on data analytics. And, and the idea was make it easy to buy flood insurance, apply that Amazon-like buying experience to flood insurance, give me an address, I'll give you a quote. Weren't sure we could do it. We thought we, thought we could, thought it'd be interesting to give it a try. And it took about a year and a half to build out the tech, but Bill moved on to Plymouth Rock because it's just a tremendous opportunity for him that was put in front of him. But from 2017 forward, we've now built Neptune into the largest private flood insurer in the US. So it worked. A lot of starts and stops, lots of, uh, it's my only startup, James. So uh, so I made my share of mistakes, but, but we, we kind of fought through that and it's really turned out to be significantly successful. Yeah, I mean, starting up from nothing is difficult, uh, and that is an understatement. Yeah. I have done it multiple times now. I started Jibby Knowledge out of my dorm room with, uh, you know, a five thousand dollar investment from my father, and uh, wow, wow, <laughs> and we we bootstrapped the rest. You know, I I think we took out loans for sixty eight grand total. It, it and and it it's just really really difficult to do things on a on a shoestring and on a, a bootstrapping. Uh, it's, and, and, you know, just as difficult if you have funding, cause you, now you have the pressure of investors and everything behind you. Um, you know, there's, there's all kinds of other challenges that come with that. Uh, it, it is very difficult to get things off the ground. And, uh, I have, I've, I've built run and sold companies, uh, and, and then started over again and, and continue to do it. It's, yeah. uh, it is, a it is a, a, certainly a lifetime experience. One thing I noticed about Neptune was how easy it was and how fast it was to get a quote. So I, of course, uh, as part of this today, I, I went through and just quoted it, quoted my house and got a flood quote, uh, very quickly, uh, you know, and, and was, was able to very easily use your little slider to change my pricing. And, Good. you know, I entered the property, it showed up, it didn't tell me, I, you know, what, here's been my challenge, Jim, with so many insure techs we have on here is, uh, I'll go to the website before the interview and I'll enter the address <laughs> and it's, we don't offer coverage in your area. Right. I mean, so, that's, mm -hmm. that's one thing I have noticed is there's a there's a lot of very limited coverage among insure techs. You cover pretty much darn near everything in the U.S. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and and we we say yes ninety five percent of the time. Wow. Now that won't always be a discount. About two thirds of the time, it's a discount compared to the National Flood Insurance Program. But we we, we know what drives. This was actually one of the lessons from early days in Neptune that. 
that we thought we'd just take the you know the finest risks and discount off the NFIP from those risks and and, and say yes 15% of the time that was a complete non-starter that was that was way back in the beta days in 2017 when we were tr- when I was testing out version 1 of our of our of our system and agents don't want to be told no 85% of the time they want to be told be confident that they're going to get a yes and so we made a significant change to our to our algorithm to make sure that we could accept properties and provide great service like the 1 minute quote to mind that you experienced earlier today yeah it was quick i mean it was crazy quick. Obviously, I didn't click purchase because I already have flood insurance included as part of my homeowner's policy. I'm one of the lucky ones that that was actually included in my my homeowners. Oh, interesting. But, yeah. But uh, you have some really cool things. First off, your your coverage. I'm just curious, how did you, how do and, and a lot of others have really struggled to get this level of coverage from a geographic perspective. How did you go about doing it so quickly? Well, one thing was we stayed surplus lines. So had we gone admitted market, and there were companies yeah. that started around the same time that we did that are still only in seven states or five states. By going surplus lines, you can move much faster. Uh, the other thing is we iterated all the time. We're on version 135, I think, as of today of our of our risk selection and rating engine. We call it Triton. And that's in a little over three years. So but almost weekly, we push out a new release of our software. If you were in an incumbent carrier and you know, because you work with some of them, but they might do quarterly software releases. Yeah. So four a year and and we're doing one one a week, sometimes multiple days in a row. So you got to be able to move really, really fast in your system, but then also staying surplus lines and then just communicating very, very well with the state departments of insurance has, has helped us a lot. Awesome. Rob, I know you had a great question about uh, just private flood insurance. Yeah, so Jim, I, I know we've uh, had the chance to cross paths several times uh, in the past, so it's it's great to have <laughs> you on the podcast. And we've got Nat Cat Geek uh, part kind of uh, in common, but <laughs> a lot of our listeners probably aren't as uh, versed in flood insurance as uh, you and I, and you, you certainly are more the expert than I am. But you know, one of the things that's unusual, you've already referenced it, is you know, your primary competition is not necessarily other private insurance companies, but it's actually the federal government through their national flood insurance program. Flood was uh, and has been for decades considered an uninsurable risk um, because of the adverse selection issues of you don't buy flood insurance unless you live in a a flood area. People talk about, you know, one in 100 year floods or you're required to get it, FEMA flood maps, things like that. So Maybe you can just, you know, for our listeners um, at a very high level, talk a little bit about the National Flood Insurance Program and then how Neptune is different. Yeah, yeah, good, uh, good question. And it's it's one I hear a lot because it, it, it's confusing. If you buy homeowners insurance, you're almost certainly buying that from a private company. The only time that you might buy it from a government entity is the the residual carrier, residual market. It's the insurer of last resort that governments put together, like Florida Citizens, for example, to make sure that people always have at least some option to buy insurance. In flood insurance, it's it's totally different. And, and if you think back to 50 years ago when the NFIP was created, flood was almost unmodelable. And, and it was I would say it was unmodelable in a way that would be commercially viable for private companies to underwrite. So as a result, the federal government set up the NFIP and they did a great job. They set up a program that covered the whole country and, and brought ultimately up to 5 million people 
coverage that that didn't have it before. But it's a government program. And uh, right now, the NFIP has about 90% market share, but it loses billions every year. And it has very low coverage limits. It's inaccurate in its modeling. And these are their words. It's uh, their, their flood maps are sometimes as old as 40 years old still and analog flood maps. So there are lots of things that can be improved, improved upon. So the world changed around 2005, 6, 7, 8, when you had the advances in high-speed computing. You had uh, e-commerce developing rapidly, and people got used to that Amazon one-click buying process. And then you had the availability of data that you could you could call out and, and pull in data via ultimately via API in real time. What that meant was you could run these data analytics and you could model flood. And companies like CoreLogic and CatRisk and others jumped in and, and RMS and AIR have, have done a good job in creating very sophisticated models for flood. That enabled a private market. And so around 2004 or five, I think the first private flood insurer popped up. And then when I started Neptune in 2016, there were maybe three or four or five. Well, today there are 150 different companies at least. This is National Association of Insurance Commissioners number, but there are at least 150 different companies that sell private flood insurance in the U.S. and at least one in, in every state. So the market's dramatically changed. The other thing is that I think if, if we go back to the Bell System analogy, I worked in the Bell System. I thought, man, this is an amazing company, amazing talent. Why would you want anything else? Well, once they broke up the Bell System, what happened? You had this explosion of technology, of new companies, of jobs being created, of prices going down, of options for consumers, and all these tangential benefits that happen. The same thing is happening in flood. The NFIP is 90%. It ought to be much smaller. But what's happening with all these little companies coming up, they're using te technology in very advanced ways. They're offering new coverage limits. So for example, with Neptune, you can cover up to four, you can have $4 million of coverage on your house or your, or your business. With the NFIP, you can only get 250000 With Neptune, you can get replacement cost, which would be nice because people don't want to replace their seven-year-old couch with another seven-year-old couch. They'd like a new one, please. And then you can also get temporary living expense, cover external buildings, lots of other things. So, so you see more options, lower prices, better technology, and actually better underwriting results as a result of this competition that's occurred in the market. So the consumer wins. Certainly, there are lots of jobs being created, but also the taxpayer wins because they're not saddled with all this debt from, from the NFIP that's being picked up by the private markets. It's, uh, but it's early days, Rob. I mean, I, probably longer answer than you were looking for, but it, it's still early days. The fact that the NFIP still has 90% market share says that it, it's still largely a monopoly. Does the federal government need to drop out of the uh, flood insurance market or do they need to substantially pare back their holdings or drive prices up? I mean, now that you have hundreds of competitors and capitalism in do is doing what capitalism does, right? Innovation, prices, better for consumers, better for you – know, yeah. you, have, you have people making profit. You have consumers saving money. Everybody seems to be winning, but the government's still taking a lot of tax dollars and plowing it into a money-losing program. So you know, yeah. do, they, do they still need to exist as a backstop? Because flood insurance is not available everywhere, should they slowly wind the program down? I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think they should still exist. And I think they, the long-term solution is this, this uh, hybrid ecosystem that has lots of private flood carriers. Just think of our example on homeowners. Same thing, where you've got a Florida citizens and a Louisiana citizens and, and different government carrier of last resort in each state. 
but those are usually very small entities. It's where you cannot find insurance in the private market, then you always have a backstop from a, from a federal option. Right now, that shouldn't be a 90% market share entity. That should be a 10% market share entity. It's possible that the NFIP should probably shrink, but I really think the, the bigger issue is actually in flood insurance. If you think homeowners, every, every homeowner has home insurance. Every driver has car insurance or auto insurance. But in flood insurance, there are only five and a half million policies. There, there are 62 million homes in the U.S. at moderate to extreme risk of flooding. That's according to Verisk. So 90% of the market, the difference between five and a half million and 62 million, have no flood insurance whatsoever. So I actually think the growth in the market should come from the private sector. And, that, and that's actually what's happened over the last five years. The NFIP has actually shrunk a little bit, but the private market has gone from just a few thousand policies now to, it, it's a guess, but roughly 500,000 policies. That's awesome. And, and uh, it, you know, the, the uh, technology that you're deploying in, and really the difference maker here has been models and data, right? Uh, and, and private companies having access to those so they can quote the risk and have some reasonable certainty of what, they're, what, what, uh, what barrel they're, they're staring down. I know, Rob, you had a question about innovations. Yeah, Jim, you've kind of touched on a lot of things and, and really appreciate all the, the, the background. I think it's great stuff for our audience. I, I'm curious specifically, maybe you can touch on, uh, and I'm sure there were many, you talked about 150 year on your 135th version or something like that, but broadly speaking, what are some of the, the big innovations that you've made? And, and, you know, you touched on this market challenge in particular. Um, I know in the past, right, there wasn't necessarily a large incentive to sell flood insurance other than if you were required to have it for your mortgage or, or things like that. It's a product that you know, agents didn't want to have to deal with, right? From the National Flood Insurance Program, it was a long process, laborious. They didn't make much commission, and um, you know, uh, James just talked a little bit about um, that Amazon quote flow experience that you've got on your website. I, I know that a lot of your business also comes from agents, so I don't know if distribution is the biggest challenge you face. Uh, awareness from customers, obviously. You know, you talked about the, the underwriting side. Would love to hear a little bit about the claim side. So, you know, where were the biggest innovation points from your perspective for an up team? Yeah, I, I think, I think Rob, a good way to answer that is to do an analogy. Imagine you go to Amazon. Let's, let's go back to Amazon again. And you look for a product, a piece of clothing, and, and you find that product and you click buy. And what you get is a screen that pops up that says, thank you for shopping at Amazon. One of our representatives will be back to you within a week or so and tell you if you qualify to buy our product and we'll tell you how much it costs. Have a nice day. I mean, <laughs> it, it feels like a, a, a ludicrous analogy, but we know that that is pretty much the standard buying process in insurance these days. You, for many companies, you have to qualify. Some of them will turn you down for insurance. Often that's happened to us in commercial. And then, then you don't even know what the price is for a while. So the innovation and the biggest innovation that I believe we came up with was that's just totally unacceptable. It's unacceptable in every other line of business. In retail, it's totally unacceptable. No one would buy anything on Amazon if that was the experience. So the innovation was, how can we bring that into insurance? And that's what we did. So it's less than a minute, James, as you saw, for quote, bind, sign, and pay. You can do all that in less than a minute. And we demo our product and 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 you know, when someone says, oh, I'd like to show you a demo of my product and you think, oh, no, I'm, I'm going to lose 45 minutes of my life. 
our demos are less than a minute and they can't believe it. They're amazed that they're, that they're done already. <laughs> so getting behind that, what occurs behind the curtain? There are a few things that were, that were true innovations, I, I think. One is that API data call. You enter your address, we do an API call out and we bring back 150 different data elements and we evaluate within one second, we evaluate all those data elements and determine whether we will underwrite that risk or not. So we make that yes, no decision in less than one second. So you already see a quote on the screen and you haven't been on our site, but longer than 15 seconds. The second thing that actually is pretty significant is real-time aggregation management. What most insurers do is they look backwards quarterly or sometimes even annually and say, well, how many policies did we sell? Did we sell too many in Miami-Dade County? And then they have to manage their, their volume going forward. We do that in real time. So when you enter the address, we've... James, when you did your quote, we not only evaluated your, your address for risk, we priced it, but we also evaluated aggregation of all the other policies we have in the area. And then we assign that across multiple buckets of capacity. So some, most carriers, many carriers just have one bucket of capacity. We have multiple so that we can sell a lot of policies in Miami-Dade and give and distribute that across multiple reinsurance capacity buckets. And it's single risk modeling. So those, those are really four things, Rob, maybe more than you're asking for, but API data call out for 150 data elements, less than one minute quote bind, real-time aggregation management, and then single risk modeling where we're modeling. We know that, that what house it is, that our geocode is through the roof of the house. We evaluate the elevation at all four, four corners of the house. So it's very, very accurate. And so the outcome of all that is, yeah, it's really easy to use, but it also, the data is so good that it creates great underwriting results. So everybody wins, reinsurer wins, consumer wins, the agents win because it's super easy. And so we have that alignment across everybody in our in our system. So Jim, you're, um, did you start as an MGA and then move into being a carrier or what what path did you take there? Yeah, we started as an MGU, really. It's technically MGA, I guess, but MGU because we do the risk selection and the pricing and the billing and the payments and commission payments, everything we do. The only thing we don't do is take a layer of the risk. So in that way, we're, we're an MGU, not a carrier. And you're still an MGU. We're still an MGU. You're still not writing your own paper. So. That's correct. Yep. And uh, do, you, do you envision yourself moving into being a carrier or is that, is that the next logical step or do you really like being a, a, an MGU? You know, we, we've we've talked about it and knocked it back and forth a bit. We give away much of the premium by being an MGA. You you cede a lot of the, the premium to the the actual carriers. Right now, we've got great relationships with our carriers. I I I don't know, James. That's that's something we kind of look at annually and decide: Are we of a certain size, and is it materially better for us to be a carrier versus an MGU? Jury's still out. Yeah. So w walk me through the tech that you built yourself versus the stuff that you're licensing. Did you, you built your own underwriting engine? You built your own, did you build your own claim system? I mean, what did you actually author in-house versus licensing? You don't, you don't have to mention what products you license, but I, I'm just curious as to what you decided to build yourself because it was strategic and super important to your business model versus what you licensed in. Yeah, yeah, you'll you'll appreciate this because we built it like a software company. So the idea is automate everything and also try not to be dependent on third parties. 
as we go. So you see some companies that are really just windows to a bunch of other other company stuff. Well, we we actually wrote pretty much everything. We wrote the front end, so the so the quoting process and the web interface that you see, that's all developed by us by our people in-house. We wrote our own agency management system. So our own policy administration system. <laughs> which is a little a little unusual. That's no small feat. That's a big deal, including no tracking commissions and payments and everything else, right? It and it would have it would have taken us probably two years and ten times as much money. And we got quotes for external providers to come in and do cloud based policy admin systems. But in the end, we felt like so much of what you do with policy admin systems is take out features that you don't use before you even are able to use the third party policy admin system. So we just wrote it to to be for us from the start and from six months from first requirements meeting to launch with six months of that policy admin system. That's all in-house. The um, We call our risk selection rating engine Triton, and we've actually trademarked that. We've, we've patented, we've got a patent filing for our process. And so all that risk selection, the analytics for the risk selection, the pricing model is ours. We don't use Swiss Re's model or or Hiscox's model or anybody like that. It is our pricing model. And, and all the capacity providers that work with us use our model. So we only have one pricing model and one risk selection engine. One thing that's really helpful to have is access to multiple sources of geocodes because you've got to pull in your geocode data, your, your public data. Uh, some flood analytics are, are useful to bring in, which then become part of the mix of how we analyze the risk and do our risk selection. But largely it's, it, it's all in-house, James. Yeah, and that's that's a that's a huge feat. I've I've had to build a lot of proprietary policy and claim systems over the last uh, 18, 19 years, and they are monumental yeah. feats. And of course, it it becomes the core of your business. I actually, there's a really cool visual map you posted about Triton on your website where you can oh, see yeah. Uh, yeah. how many policies are binding and writing in real time. And it's 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 a if you want to go and check out uh, that yeah. tri- it's called the the Triton Visualizer at visualizer.neptuneflood.com. You can see how many seconds since the previous quote and where all the quotes are going in the country. And it's like, man, it's a great yeah. tool. Uh, certainly that'd be a great tool to send potential investors to <laughs> because the, uh, they, uh, they, they must, they must love being able to see the activity level. Cause you, you really truly have activity going on uh, nationwide. We, we were, we were trying to figure out how do you help people visualize artificial intelligence in action? Yeah. And and so we created that visualizer. Uh, it was uh, really it was it was Trevor's idea. Trevor Burgess is my uh, primary investor and now the CEO of Neptune and a, a brilliant strategic man. But it was his idea to create this visualizer based on Missile Command from the from the eighties. Yeah. So it, it kind of has that kind of interface. But the problem with it was we've got this giant monitor on the wall in what we used to be a one room company and our whole. Most of our people were technologists and, and they were sitting in a room coding and testing and doing all of that. And we put up this visualizer on the wall and productivity just fell off the table because <laughs> everybody would sit there and stare at it for hours. So. For people listening to this, you can find it on our website on About Us. And it says, yeah. I think it says Triton Visualizer or and something yeah. like that. But it, it is really interesting. That's awesome. Well, I. I have so I I have home insurance through Cincinnati. They bundle flood coverage in with their homeowners policies, and I know that uh, Rob had a question about bundling. 
Yeah, Jim, just as we kind of wrap up, you know, I'm, I'm curious to where you see the, the future of flood insurance going. And I guess I would say private flood insurance going. Um, we talked about the size of the market with NFIP. We talked about the size of the, the uninsured market, which is huge in this case. You know, one idea, and and I didn't even know, James, you had this, the, the bundled home and flood. And that's something I think that's always been kind of a dream that, you know, it, it's included in your homeowner's insurance because then the homeowner isn't trying to play this game of estimate estimating uh, quite inaccurately what their risk of flood is and and you know thinking that they don't need it when quite frankly I think it's something like 25% of people that live outside a FEMA flood zone actually experience a flood and and have a claim and of course the vast majority of these people don't have insurance and aren't covered and so they're very surprised to learn that a flood can cause a, a ton of damage even just a little bit amount of water right if it gets up to your wall sockets and having to rip out your electrical system and you're oh. I mean Flood is just yeah. an ugly, ugly type of loss. I've seen it firsthand. So, uh, but most people, again, you know, having never experienced it, and because it isn't often, I guess it's not bundled with home and it's not offered. What are your thoughts on that? How do you reach those folks, and do you see it as bundled, or will it always be a, a separate product? It's interesting, and there are models all over the world. If you look at how other countries do it, there are actually very few countries where flood and homeowners insurance are bundled as a single product. There's a big reason for that. And it's the same thing in the US. There, there are a few carriers, James, you have one, but there are a few carriers that do, they'll either bundle it together or they'll add flood as an endorsement. But what they usually do, those carriers, their flood endorsement product is someone else's flood product. So they might bolt on a Neptune or a different, some other uh, carrier's flood product. And the reason for that is because it's correlated risk. So flood is a very common loss and a catastrophic loss. So when there is a flood claim, as, as you just said, Rob, it's a big loss. If you correlate that with wind loss, those are two of the most common losses to uh, in property and casualty in the US. That's a really significant risk to a carrier to cover both of those. And, and what we see happening more often is that carriers want to add a flood product, but they'd like to not carry the risk associated with that flood product. So they see benefit to providing the full solution to their policyholders, but they'd like to not carry that risk. So they bolt on a product like Neptune as their flood solution. You also get into a really interesting dispute resolution issue with your insured, because is it falling water or rising water? Mm -hmm. Is it water that was frozen and then melted? I'm just trying to think through all the stuff that happened in the last 20 years. I mean, there's a lot of ways that water can mess up a house. And some of it would be covered by the homeowner's policy and some by the flood policy. So you also have a separation and who's responsible for what issue and a, and a confused homeowner at the end of the day. Rob, yeah. uh, what, what did you have there? Oh, you're right. It, it's uh, Hurricane Katrina, I think, really brought this out to the fore where was it the the water coming down or the water coming up? There's a lot of lawsuits following that. But every CAD event, you know, we talked about the most recent hurricane it always happens. And you're right, James, like there's always kind of this disincentive because you, you want the other one to, to pay. And yeah, it becomes a huge nightmare from the the homeowner's perspective. I think that's why the idea of, of bundling it makes sense. If, if that single carrier were to own the whole risk, now you don't have to have different adjusters coming in and trying to determine, right, was it 
wind-driven rain? Was it, you know, uh, the, the rising floodwaters, things like that? Um, so it, it is interesting, Jim, that, but you're, you're right about the, the risk part of it as well. So uh, it'll be very interesting to see how, uh, how the future holds. Any other thoughts on kind of the future of flood insurance and, and growing this market, how you do that? Well, I think there will be a couple of things that happen. I think there will be a broader mandate because climate change is real, flood risk is growing, and there will need to be more flood insurance, not less. And yet having only 10% of the at-risk market covered is a real problem. And it's actually a real problem for government because the government gets leaned on anytime there's an event and people are uninsured. And they're rightfully there for those kind of events. But what they should be able to do is spend their time focusing on on healthcare and on infrastructure rebuild. And, and yet in Hurricane Harvey, for example, they had to spend their time focusing on grants and funding for people that were uninsured. 80% of the people that, that had losses in Hurricane Harvey were, were uninsured. So I think there will be a move uh, for a broader mandate of flood insurance, whether that's saying if you're above a certain risk level, you just have to have it. I also think there'll be uh, different ways of of buying it. You know how when you buy a, an airline ticket, you're prompted to, would you like travel insurance with this with this ticket? And you can't even buy it until you get click that box. I see that happening for flood insurance as well. Maybe when you go to Home Depot to buy plywood or when you certainly when you buy a house through the real estate industry, you'd be prompted to get flood insurance, not just in the mandatory zones, but but overall. Or if you set up a bank account or maybe even when you buy auto insurance, I can see all these avenues of making it easier to to get the flood insurance. And then one other fun one, I think, is is visualizations. You guys have probably done the virtual reality or augmented reality with the headsets. But but even even before that, the visualizations are getting so good that I, I could see like, James, if you went online and you didn't think you were at risk of flood insurance, but I had I was able to show you an image of your house and a realistic scenario of what water would be doing in an event that could commonly occur in your area, that would make it real for, for you, I'm sure. And and I think that might yeah be a, a more effective way of selling this intangible product that people generally don't want to buy. People don't want to buy insurance at all. So they don't want to buy. And in the case of flood insurance, they don't really believe they're at risk, even though the data is there to, to show that they are. So I can see all those things happening, Rob, in the, in the near future for flood insurance. Yeah. And I, you're, you're talking to a guy who also has a HoloLens and a Oculus rift okay. and uh, oh, <laughs> so, Quest, so i'm i'm certainly uh very uh very keen on visualizations and certainly enjoy that it, it, and they do have a big impact on decision making when you can yeah. see it rather than just look at a data point it uh, makes a big difference rob yeah and uh, you know one final thought is uh you're right, Jim. And, uh, you know, previously I would have to talk to homeowners about, you know, their property insurance coverage and, and about the need for flood insurance. And, you know, that visualization would be of kind of, hey, you know, imagine what the scenario would look like. Imagine dealing with the claims adjuster. Imagine what this would look like. But I'm trying to paint that picture in words. So I, I agree with you. I've always thought that, you know, a VR, AR yeah. scenario would be good. And the other thing I always said is if you don't have insurance, you better hope that your flooding is widespread. You know, you mentioned Hurricane Harvey. And the reason I say that is so that the government will cut government. you that kind of FEMA relief <laughs> check, because if yeah. it just happens to your house, but no one else's house, then, and you don't have insurance, then, you know, you're just totally out of luck. Yeah. 
the uh, average FEMA relief check in Harvey was $4,000 and the average loss was $116,000. That's a really risky path to to wait for the government to bail you out because that is absolutely not the intent of, of FEMA checks. FEMA FEMA's goal is to get people back on their feet, not get them back 100% to the picture of their house before the flood hit. Yeah, exactly. Take care of yourself. Always. Take care of mm-hmm. yourself. Don't depend on the government. Yeah. Because uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, you, you will be sorely disappointed and it will take far, far too long. Not what they're there for in that case. Well, Jim, this has yeah. been a great discussion. I, I really appreciate it. Uh, I enjoyed the conversation around uh, what's going on over there at Neptune. Uh, again, the website, if people want to find out more information about Neptune, is neptuneflood.com. We've been speaking with Jim Albert, who is their co-founder and chairman. And uh, Jim, thanks uh, for this. If you just sit with us for just a second, we have a couple of news stories we wanted to cover for our uh, listeners really quick. First, in Japan, they shattered the internet speed record, and this is amazing levels of data, 319 terabits per second. That that would allow you, you know, it's roughly 40 terabytes uh, a second, which is basically 40 high-def 4K movies a second being transmitted. Uh, that means you could transmit the entire Netflix library in a quantifiable amount of time. Um, and that was over a 3,000-kilometer distance. This was not a short run in a lab. This was over fiber optic using a technique called multiplexing that uh, actually splits the tr- data transmission in different wavelengths. And what they're doing is they're they're adding more and more and more finite wavelengths so they can tra- transmit at uh, all these wavelengths. Really not a reduction in latency, which is the amount of time it takes for a, a packet of data to get from point A to point D. It's just the amount of the, the size of the pipe. So it's about volume, not velocity, right? Light still travels at the same speed for now. We, okay, The light still travels at the same speed, but the amount of volume, and for our 18-year AT&T guy here, this has got to be a little exciting because... Bell Labs and, and the baby bells that split up and AT&T, it, it has the underlying IP under so much of the telecommunication stuff that is that is going on today. But this is a crazy exciting. We're talking about approaching an exabit per second data transfer speed in the next 10 years, wow. which is just mind boggling uh, to, to see what we can do with that. Jim, it's got to geek the, the old AT&T guy in you out a little bit. James, I was the transmission engineer for the very first fiber optic cable to go in in the U.S. What? <laughs> wow. And I don't even remember, but it was like 45 megabits per second or something like that. So just that'll, that'll take you back. <laughs> wow. And and yet to see what's going on now with fiber and uh, it, with multiplexing in general was a groundbreaking revolution because they could transmit all the different colors of light. And uh, it, it th- this is huge. It's going to allow for an incredible increase in R and D capacity. You know, shipping massive volumes of data around the world. It's it's also scary because there's a lot of bad things that can be done with a with a with a data connection speed so fast you could dump someone's entire server array in a matter of a few seconds. But uh, so you know, secure yourself as well. But uh, mm. this is uh, good good news for those of us who like things very quickly. Uh, next, uh, before I hand over to Rob. In InsureTech news, Swiss reappointed uh, Scalzi to lead automated underwriting strategy in Asia. And I, I just, this is a staffing an- announcement, and I usually don't report on staffing announcements, but Barbara Scalzi is, is stepping up to lead the automated underwriting solution Magnum in Asia for Swiss Re. And 
the only, the only thing, the reason I, I point this out is that automated underwriting, and we've just been talking about it for the last 45 minutes, is a really big deal in the insure tech startup world. But to see Swiss Re really putting together a business unit and a business chief, and they actually pulled uh, Barbara Scalzi from an insure tech company. Um, and so they're starting to poach some insure tech companies and bring that talent in house, build their own product lines, and automate underwriting. Uh, so they're not left behind on this revolution. And so it, while this is a staffing announcement, it is from a very, very large uh, carrier, a very, very large company, Swiss Re, that we're all familiar with. And I think as a harbinger of uh, some more uh, poaching, you're going to see the large companies do. So she was she spent three years at the platform Underwrite Me. Uh, she was their director of biz ops and customer success. And so yeah, I think you're going to see more and more carriers poaching talent off of InsurTechs bringing them in-house uh, rather than doing some acquisitions. So you'll see some acquisition activity, but a lot of poaching activity as well. So I thought that was just an interesting, notable uh, staffing announcement that made it uh, percolated its way onto the interwebs, Rob. Yeah, no, you're right. I think following the talent uh, in the next five to 10 years is going to be fascinating. And you're already seeing uh, flows from traditional carriers into insurtechs. I think you'll start seeing that that backflow. And yeah, we may not even talk about right traditional carriers versus insure techs anymore. At some point, it's going to kind of all blend. It's all going to be at the size of the company, but uh, uh, we we may not be making that distinction uh, in a few years. So I've got a couple of flood-related news items this week from the Insurance Journal in honor of uh, Jim joining us here. Uh, the first is uh, actually affecting some of my in-laws. So my wife is German and uh, Germany has had Really, really catastrophic flooding uh, from just a ton of unexpected rainfall, one in 100 year type things. Uh, insurers are expecting costly claims for 2021. So for those of you that uh, are not aware, uh, it's been kind of crazy weather uh, over in, in Europe and Germany in particular. So this uh, issue of flood is certainly not restricted to uh, us here in the U.S. And speaking of the U.S., NOAA, uh, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, has uh, come out and said that sunny day floods, quote unquote, sunny day floods will increasingly inundate U.S. coast at sea level rise, where meaning you won't necessarily need a hurricane type of event or a tropical storm or, or these one in 100 year rains that they're experiencing in Germany to cause floods that you're going to have more uh, common occurrences. I uh, used to have a uh, one of my favorite images from Slide Deck was uh, from Norfolk, uh, Virginia, the, the Hampton Roads area, which is kind of notoriously uh, low and, and under sea level at some points where uh, it was a, a sign that said, no parking on the street except when flooded. <laughs> it's like, I don't think that's the time that you should be parking your car just because it won't get towed away when it's under flood waters. Uh, but there's certainly so, uh, areas of the country. Uh, Galveston's another one, uh, the New Orleans area and others that uh, are actually sinking as the sea level is rising. So this is becoming more and more. And of course, Miami, you already uh, referred to Jim as seeing a lot of this Kind of a regular flooding where it's a, a common event that's um, people are having to deal with on a regular basis now. Absolutely. And of course, we don't want to, we, we, we would probably be remiss if we didn't talk about the residential tower collapse just north of Miami Beach that is uh, such a big, such a big event for insurance companies because now they're going to have to, you know, rethink their inspection and uh, ongoing insurance of, uh, of these large condos. And especially in South Florida, where there's a lot of salt there, a lot of humidity a lot of flooding, a lot of water penetration into basements, and what appears to be some substantial degradation of the quality of the structural supports uh, on on a lot of these condo projects. So it's going to certainly impact insurers in Florida. Rob, what else you got? 
Absolutely. You're right. Just kind of building on that obviously tragic situation. And I'm sure a lot of other folks, you know, very worried about their structure. Um, you know, the, the warning signs uh, were certainly there, but I'm sure there's other facilities we're not hearing about. And so, yeah, I, I think both the quality of our infrastructure as well as some of these climate events uh, or climate related events are, are going to you know, precipitate the need for even more insurance products in the future. And uh, I think Jim uh, Neptune Flood is uh, well positioned to take advantage of that in the future. So it's been great having you on. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. I, I just like having someone interested in talking about flood insurance with me. So this is really good. <laughs> we'll geek out on all kinds of insurance, but flood insurance is a very, very relevant, timely, and topical uh, issue. So we're happy to geek out, and I'll definitely see you next time I'm over in St. Pete. And uh, keep on keep on trucking with your business, and congratulations on the success and the growth that you guys have experienced. And uh, looking forward to, cont- to staying in touch with you guys. Thank you, James. Yep. And appreciate it, Rob. Thanks so much. And uh, again, for everybody out there in, in listener land, uh, I hope you have in, enjoyed our discussion here. If you want to find out more information or subscribe to our email newsletter, remember that you can text geek out. That's G E E K O U T to 66866. Uh, this has been the InsureTech Geek Podcast. Powered by JB Knowledge. That's jbknowledge.com. It's all about technology that's transforming and disrupting the insurance world. I've been your host, James Benham. That's jamesbenham.com with co host Rob Galbraith. That's endofinsurance.com with our guest, Jim Albert. Uh, thanks to Jim Greenley, our podcast producer, and Kara Dalton, our creative producer. And thank you for joining us today. We're taking you on a journey through insurance tech. So enjoy the ride and geek out. See you next week. <laughs>